and welcome uh, to a conversation with your favorite co-host. I am Martina, and this is the lovely Lisette. And we are the wonderful podcast, uh, and and I guess YouTube channel. We are Up Perspectives. So welcome um, back. If you uh, are just tuning in or just watching or listening listening us to the first time, welcome here. Um, people that are used to seeing our face and hearing our voices, welcome back. Um, for today's video, we will be speaking to another nonprofit leader located here in the Chicagoland area. Um, we're very excited to have him. Uh, he's been doing a lot of great work for a long time. And so we're excited to really dig in and learn more about him and about his work. Um, and yeah, so before I kick it over to him, or I should say, Alicet will kick it over to him. Feel free to add anything, Alicet. Yeah, no, I think we're we're excited to continue having these conversations with, you know, local nonprofit leaders here in, in Chicago. Uh, if you haven't listened to our other conversations with the other two individuals, I encourage you to go listen to them uh, and get a glimpse into just a different uh, type of leaders that we have in our communities that are sort of really uplifting the the issues that our communities face on a daily basis, but also just also the opportunities to grow and really make impact. So definitely encouraged to do that. So definitely excited to have Luis here today uh, with us to share about the work that he has been doing pretty much really in the Mexican community, looking, you know, particularly in the Little Village uh, area here in Chicago. If you are familiar with Chicago and know Little Village, you know, that is actually one of the largest Mexican uh, communities uh, here in Chicago and uh, you know I was I lived there for a few years when I was little but my parents lived there for a very long time before we moved out to the southwest side or further southwest side of the city uh, so I'm excited to just kind of hear about the work uh, that you Luis are doing uh, and about what you are what will brought you to sort of nonprofit, what brought you into sort of community work uh, so I'm just going to kick it over to you, Louise, just kind of share a little bit about who you are. Um, and we'd love to just kind of hear a little bit about your journey into just really becoming this nonprofit leader and a community leader, really, uh, in, in the Chicago area. Uh, well, wow. Thank you so much for having me, first of all. I'm a big fan of Lizeth's. I, I've worked with, I've had the opportunity to work with Lizeth for some time now, and I've always been um, really impressed by your thought process how you approach the work and how you approach uh, working with other people. So that's been amazing. And, and Martina, I know we just started to have conversations, but I think you and Lizeth are coming from the same place. Um, and, and it's always great to, to hang out and talk to people who have intellect and heart and understand community. So that's a, a really big deal. So thank you both for the opportunity. Um, you're, you're going to have to ask me specific questions, I think, for a bit, because this yeah. is a lot, right? You're like, my name is Luis Gutierrez. I, I do work. Uh, my office is, uh, and my work has started in Little Village, but we we do so much more than that. Um, our Immigration Legal Services Program, that's really how the organization started. Um, sorry about that. Um, you know, our program right now, we service families from about 46, 47 different countries around the world. Uh, the majority of the families that come here for services are Latino, and a lot of those are Mexican, but we really have families from all over the place. Another really interesting thing about the Immigration Legal Services Program is that families visit our office from 24 states in the U.S. 
And that's something that a lot of people don't know. It's a really, um, it's a really interesting thing that happened here because immigration law is federal and because there's a lot of fraud and trust is such a big issue in our community. We started getting people from Wisconsin coming here, Michigan coming here, Iowa coming here. And after a while you start to take a look at that and you're like, wow. And then suddenly we start getting people coming here from states that are even further out. And so after we started counting up how many of the states that we represent, we actually represent families from 24 different states and throughout the state of Illinois. So it's just become a, a really big program, really proud of the work that happens there. Um, if you think about the work that Latinos Presando does now in a more kind of regional way, um, there is something that we have been focused on a lot over the last five or six years, and that is how do we both uplift the Mexican community, but also work with our brothers and sisters in the Black community to talk about how we can create one community rather than this idea, um, you know, we all know how segregated Chicago is, this idea that it's every community for themselves. If we can start to look at ourselves as brothers and sisters in one community and sharing resources and sharing experiences and sharing ideas, I think that builds a stronger city for all of us. And so in that regard, one of the things that we did is we started something called the One Longdale Initiative. Um, and that is organizations that are part of the Marshall Square Resource Network, uh, in which Latinos Presando is the backbone agency. We partner with the North Londo Community Coordinating Council, or NLCCC, and we start to think about what can we do together, rather than, again, mm -hmm. South Londo, North Londo. Um, so that actually has gone pretty well. You know, we started off, you know, simply just having conversations about this. That turned into, uh, we started having a cookout once a year where we brought the Lawndales together. That turned into now, last year we had a one Lawndale summer where we had four different events where we can celebrate unity. And then most recently also Rodney and I are the co-chairs of the Ogden Commons um, work that happens out of Sinai Hospital, which is based in North Lawndale, but serves the entire Southwest side. So we were able to recently open the One Longdale Outpatient Surgical Center. And we are also um, are working on the One Longdale Children's Museum as well. So it's really exciting stuff. In addition to that, uh, with my partners and brothers and sisters out in Auburn Gresham, we partnered up with the Greater Auburn Gresham Development Corporation to kick off what we're calling the Accelerator Fund. Um, the Accelerator Fund is a five-year initiative to raise $10 million to support Black-led and Mexican-led nonprofit organizations in the city so that um, we can support those leaders by funding, but also helping with capacity building and mentorship. That uh, initiative started during COVID, so we're about a year and a half in. We've raised about $2.5 million. We're funding about 43 different organizations there really exciting project that's really cool that goes towards this goal of uh, uniting our communities. And then every year we do something we call Mex Talks where we highlight um, the work of the Mexican community in not just the city of Chicago, but across the United States. So we'll have speakers come in to talk about a topic that is important to the Mexican community. Um, this, has, this was actually our 10th year. It was really exciting because we had uh, the director and creator of La Bamba, 
which for me growing up was the Mexican movie for every Mexican person in the United States. So to have him on stage at one of our events was absolutely awesome. Uh, and then more locally, I, I mentioned the Marshall Square Resource Network. So we coordinate a group of about 45 organizations that work around different issues, but we're also in the process of building a community center on Cermak Avenue, which is our main corridor. And so that'll be the future home of Latinos Progresando. We'll be running immigration legal services out of there. We'll be running our Marshall Square Resource Network work out of there. And in addition, we'll have two tenants. One is going to be Esperanza Health Centers that's going to be working with um, the local schools and providing mental health services for students. And the other is the Lincoln Park Zoo that's going to be providing after school and summer programming in both North and South Lawndale. So, you know, there's other stuff, scholarships and things like that, but I tried yeah. to make that as short as possible. <laughs> no, it, it's so great to kind of hear all of the work that uh, you are doing, but in partnership with others. Because uh, I think a lot of times you don't hear that a lot, right? You don't hear about, you know, really the partnership, collaborating and kind of doing that. And I think there's a lot more of that happening uh, now than I think I've ever seen before it's just kind of here but also like your Auburn Gresham is not that far from where I live but like it's a little far from where <laughs> you guys are located at so it's sort of but it's like across not just in like in your neighboring kind of neighborhoods and sort of nearby but also just across I think even looking across the city I think is important because uh, a lot of the times here in Chicago I hear a lot of like well what works on the you know west side doesn't work on the south side and vice versa or things like that and i'm like uh i think we can learn from each other and i think there's ways to collaborate and some of the things that work on the south side will probably work on the west side and vice versa um so you know and even you know like things that you know impact the, the black community probably don't matter to the latino community and i'm like ah oh, that's a lot of assumptions to be making uh, unless we have those conversations to what you were kind of alluding to it but one of the things that I noticed a lot from you Louisa when you were talking there's so much passion behind everything you were kind of describing and talking about so I'd love to hear about like how where and how did that passion come to be like, how did you get started <laughs> oh, you, gotta, you, you gotta ask my mama I don't know. <laughs> that's how like, they made what? me I don't know like I, you a little Louise how did we get from the little Louise to this um, big like you've done like, a lot and you're still doing a lot. I mean, so, you started Latinos Progresando, yeah, right? I did How start did Latinos Progresando. Like, and actually we'll be 25 in January. So I don't know when people are going to, going to watch this, if they mm -hmm. even watch it, but in January of 2023, we'll be 25 years old, which is a wow. pretty, kind of a pretty cool thing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, was, I, was, uh, I was at an event the other day where Carlos and I actually did a, uh, a talk about the Accelerator Fund. Um, and I was I was saying that when you when you start anything, and just my experience, I started Latinos Progresando, but I, I imagine that this would be the same for a lot of people. But for me anyway, that you know, when you when you first start something, you want to make it at least a year. Like that was my goal. I'm like, oh my God, I can't close down unless I make it a year. And, and especially at the beginning, you know, I was pretty young when I when I started this idea, but everybody was telling me I was I was stupid, basically, because I was getting, I was, I had a job where I was getting paid pretty decently. I had benefits and all these other things, but I left that job to go to this place where I was going to be the only person there. And there was no guaranteed salary and there were no benefits. 
So everybody's like, what are you doing? Like, you're stupid, man. Stay at your job. You're getting paid well, you know, et cetera. And so, you know, you start this thing. You're like, man, if I can make it a year, you know what? That's a success. It's a success. Even if I close down after a year, like they can't call me stupid anymore. I've made it a year. And then when you, you, when you make it a year, you're like, you start looking down the road and you're, you want to dream a little more. And you're like, if I can make it five years, if I can make it five years for sure, everybody, that's definitely a success. Even if I left or closed down, I'm not stupid. I made it five years. That's just such a long time. And then when you're at the 25 year mark, I'm like, I need to retire. I'm like, this is, I'm looking at retirement now. I'm like, all right, it's time to pass it on. We're out, you know? Yeah. So, so that's kind of like, I, at least my thought process in, in one to 25. Martina. No, well, I mean, you gave me a good background of how we got to the great Latinos for Rosanda as it is today. But you mentioned, you know, before, um, yeah. Before you founded this organization, you were doing something different. I don't know if it was entirely different. Oh, it was entirely different, yeah. It was. Okay, that's yeah. what I wanted to know because, now, I mean, uh, I know being a nonprofit is its own beast. Yes. So have you always been in nonprofit? Absolutely not. No, I, I didn't even know what a nonprofit was for, mm-hmm. for at least at that time, almost all my life. Uh, I got introduced to nonprofit, and this is a... It, such an interesting thing when bad things happen good people step up it's it it, and you know i've seen this unfortunately too many times but every time there's something bad that happens you see just people just step up with so much heart and passion and work that it it is always inspiring so my story kind of began uh you know in the early 90s my 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 nonprofit story began in the early 90s um, in the early 90s, California was looking at something called Proposition 187. And it was, uh, Proposition 187 was a state bill that was really looking at all of the problems, all these problems that California had. And the idea back then was that it was all of these immigrants were basically Mexican immigrants that were causing all of these problems. And so they developed this bill that they were trying to pass that that really went after undocumented Mexican, undocumented people in general, but by by and large, it was the Mexican community. And so there was a lot that was going on in the country at that time. One of the things that was happening is that people were really afraid that they were going to get deported if they were undocumented or even if they were legal permanent residents. So there was this huge just wave of people that started applying for citizenship because that was one way if you became a U.S. citizen, then they couldn't deport you. So a friend of mine at that time was going to UIC um, and he was volunteering to do these uh, citizenship workshops. And at that time, citizenship workshops, the application was a lot simpler than it is now. It's hard to do a workshop these days because things are so complicated. Back then it was complicated, but it was a little more manageable. Uh, but he was, uh, he would tell me about these things, right? He'd say, Hey, I'm doing this and this family, this, and I did this, and this is what happened. And I'd always be so proud of him. You know, I'd be like, Edgar, man, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for doing what, what, you know, all these good things for the community. And he would always say, you should come out next Saturday. We're having another workshop. And I'd be like, I'd love to come out Saturday, man. And then, you know, Friday night would come around and I'd go hang out and then, Saturday, the workshop was at eight o'clock in the morning. And for a young person, you know, that's, that's pretty early on a Saturday, right? And so 
I typically wouldn't make it. And it was kind of that conversation with my man all the time. It was, hey, I'm so, you know, I did this great thing. Hey, I'm so proud of you. You should come to this workshop. Sorry, I didn't make it, but I'm so proud of you. And then one day he calls me up and he's like, you know, there's this thing two blocks from your house. And, and if you don't show up, you're just a punk. And I was like, oh, man, right? So, you know, you feel a certain way. When, 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 yeah, right, when, and when they call you out, when a friend like that you respect so much calls you out like that, yeah. you know, you got to go. So the workshop started at 8 o'clock in the morning. I think I got up at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I got ready and I walked over. And when I walked in, I saw a bunch of people that looked like me helping a bunch of people that looked like my parents. And I was like, just I just didn't had never seen anything like that in my life. And so there was a feeling that I got when I was around what was happening. And, and I fell in love with that feeling so much that I started volunteering every Saturday. And so I was the first person there. I was the last person to leave. And eventually they offered me a job. And I started running all of these workshops. And so I started doing all of the citizenship applications. Uh, fast forward, um, that organization got into some trouble and they had to downsize. And so being one of the new employees, I was one of the first ones that was downsized. Um, and I ended up leaving. I, I tried to go to another nonprofit. I applied for a job for a nonprofit that was actually based in downtown Chicago. I went there. Um, at that space, I was the only Latino on the floor. I was the only Mexican person, only Latino on the floor. And they hired me for a specific kind of bilingual project. And, you know, at this point, I'm in my early 20s and I'm working with, you know, there was seriously, I can't remember any other person of color that was in this space. Um, and I might not be remembering it correctly, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But, you know, I worked there for a while and there were some really nice people, but something was going on that at that point in my life and at that point in my career, I didn't really know how to put a finger on it. I think now that I've, I'm a little bit older and have more experience, I can see that I was suffering from not having other people around me that were my age and not having other people around me that were from similar backgrounds, not having anybody to talk to that can act as, you know, even a mentor or anything like that. I just felt extremely isolated and I didn't like that feeling. And so um, I decided to leave there. And way, way back in my career, when I was 16, I started working at Burger King and I ended up becoming a manager there. I, I've done other stuff besides Burger King, but I've always been a big believer that no matter where you go and what you do, you try to leave great relationships uh, with, you know, cause you never know what happens. Right. And so at this point in my life, I leave this nonprofit and it turns out that Burger King is hiring someone to run, uh, the Burger King on Rockwell and Cermak. And so I said, man, I'm looking for a job. I'll run your restaurant. So I end up running that Burger King for about a year or something. In the meantime, this other organization had closed down and, and, you know, I was making good money there. I was had, like I said, I had benefits. Um, and I had some money saved up, but I was missing that piece, right? That piece of like helping people yeah. that was missing for me. And I, I couldn't, I, that was something I couldn't get over. And so I got this brilliant idea to find this space and put some of my money down. I thought it was really smart. I was 24 years old. So I put some money down on the space. I rented out the space, got some equipment and things of that nature. And then I bought a bus ticket to Mexico. I said, I'm going to go to Mexico for about three weeks think about all these wonderful things that I want to do. 
and then I'm going to roll back to Chicago and start Latinos Progresando. Um, and, uh, and that's what I did. And I opened up in January, January 15th of 1998. I opened up and uh, it's been a roller coaster ever since. What an amazing story. Look at that. Who knew? Well, you yes. know, yeah, that's true. You know, you just never know yeah. where, where opportunities are going to take you. It's amazing. Yeah, and I, I, I definitely can, like, connect with the fact of, like, that point of helping people. Like, I think about just a lot of the times people get very much caught up in, like, oh, let's, we got to make money. We got to just make it to those millionaires multimillionaires. and i joke about it all the time like i i wish i was a multimillionaire. and all the things all the good things i could do if i was yeah, a but, multi-millionaire. <laughs> but you go back to you see what you just said right like i wish i was a multimillionaire so i can help more people yeah you know most, and then most of them are not thinking like that no they're not <laughs> but i think that that is so important to get into the nonprofit world because the nonprofit world can be really tiring it could you know really burnout is so real within the nonprofit industry and just the the amount of hats that one person can can have within you know anything that you do in nonprofit is just so real so i think there is that need to have that desire to to do this because for you to have have latinos Samno for 25 years like that is a testament to not only yourself, but also to those that, you know, have been part of your journey and have come into being, you know, staff and volunteers, because it, it, it really isn't, it's not easy being a nonprofit. And, you know, like, what are some kind of things or maybe like hurdles or challenges that you've kind of had uh, over the years as the person that's leading this organization? Like, what are some things that oh you're like... <laughs> What is like one thing that you, you know, if you could go back to your younger self and say like, yeah. hey, you know, this is going to happen to you, but here's how, you, you know, you're going to make it through some like yeah. just something. Well, you know, that, that, that is a great question. And I, I, before I even address that, I think you said something really important about how difficult it can be to be a nonprofit. Yeah. And that I think, so I've had this conversation with a number of people, but Carlos um, over at the Greater Auburn Gresham Development Corporation is such a great partner, such a good person, great organization and great partner. And one of the things that he and I talk about a lot is the nonprofit sector and how difficult it is, especially in black and brown organizations to retain talent because it is so difficult. Oftentimes when you walk into nonprofit, you come here because you want to change the world. And what ends up happening a lot of the times is that you realize that you're going to do the job of three people. And then you're not even going to get the salary that you deserve for one person yeah. because you're here working from your heart. You end up taking the pay cut. You end up saying, well, I can make a little bit less because I want to have this impact. But what ends up happening a lot of times is that when you start to get a little bit older and you want to buy a house or you want to buy a car or you want to go on vacation or you have kids and you start looking at the hours you work versus the money you make and how much time you can spend here versus there, 
it starts for a lot of people to get to a point where you just can't make it. And so you, what do you do? You end up looking to other areas. You end up going to government. You end up going to philanthropy. You end up going to corporate America. And wherever you go, you try to keep a component of you that there's, there's always a part of you that stays connected to nonprofit. And I talk to so many people that are like, I wish I could stay a nonprofit, but I just can't make enough money or there's just not, you know, there's too much work for one person. And so what Carlos and I are trying to do is have this conversation with as many people as possible to say, you know, why should you wanting to change the world? Why shouldn't you be able to get paid to do that? Why should you shouldn't be able to, why shouldn't you be able to live a good life? And I'm, I tell everybody, you know, don't expect to get rich and I don't expect to get rich here in nonprofit and you shouldn't either, but you should have the basics. You should be able to buy a car. You should be able to buy a house. You should be able to go on vacation. You should be able to say, I want to have kids and I want my kids to be in school and have a good life. Like those are basic things that I think any human being wants. And what we need to do is get the word out so that for, that the nonprofit com, uh, community, the sector as a whole, is actually supported in that way so that we can pay people what they deserve to be paid and so that we can make sure that people within the sector are not working three jobs for one person. So that's just kind of another journey that, that we're on right now. But I think that's extremely important. I love that you both said that. I think we both about to say the same yes. thing um, or similar things, but I love that you brought that up because we've spoken to some other leaders on here in the, in the nonprofit world. And that's been a running theme. It's just like, we have all this incredible talent, people with multiple degrees, people with, you know, 10 plus years experience, we can't get them to stay. And it's, you know, one of our guests mentioned, it's like, everyone says nonprofits are great. Oh, you know, you're doing God's work, you know, but, you know, we're not being paid for it, or we're right. not compensated for doing right. God's work. And, you know, I speak as someone, uh, I primarily have worked in nonprofit. I currently do not. I do work more in corporate America now. But that is one thing that I'm always trying to bring the uh, the skills that I've learned in the in the nonprofit world into my corporate world because I miss doing that work. I really yeah. I really enjoyed like going into the communities, meeting people, just meeting people from all walks of life and I don't get a chance to do that so much. And so any any opportunity I get currently in my in my place of work where I can be like the boots on the ground or lead a focus group or go to a site visit, like I love doing it because I do, I miss that. And I don't I don't get a chance to do it as often as I would like. But it's also it's kind of like having somebody choose, you know, what they love to do and being able to pay their bills, it's just not fair, you know? Right. But it's currently the world that we're in, unfortunately, right yeah, now. I, I mean, your heart's still a nonprofit. Yeah. Right? And, and, that, and that's the case for so many people I talk to. Um, but we need to do something about that. So that's why every opportunity that I have to, to relay that message, that's what we're doing. And that's another reason why we started the Accelerator Fund. Because Carlos and I, you know, I started Latinos Perezando. Carlos didn't start GAGDC, but he was... I think he was their second executive director and he took it on at a very, very early stage. So it was almost like he, he wasn't the founder, but he was basically the founder. Um, and so we've seen so many things that are similar. And, and to me, you know, it took me 25 years to get to a place in my career where I am now. I, and there's so many hard things that have happened along the way. 
our goal is to make it easier for a lot of these other leaders. You shouldn't have to go through all the things that we went through to get to this point. Um, so if we can give back through the accelerator, accelerator Fund, not just funding for your organization, but if we can talk to you about some of the things that we've been through or open doors to other people in philanthropy or corporate America, share our networks, share our learnings, hopefully you can get here in 10. It doesn't need to take 25. And hopefully you can raise more money so that you can get paid. I mean, when you talk to these organizations whose budgets are under $500,000, I mean, part of the time they're not even paying themselves or they're paying themselves like, you know, a fraction because, you know, they've got a part-time job to pay the bills and they're doing this part-time because they want to keep the organization going because they know how important this work is. And we want to make sure that we end all that stuff. The nonprofit sector needs to be respected and funded at the level in which all of these other sectors are being funded so that we can do this good work and that people don't have to leave and leave their heart behind. It's, we want you here. I think you, you bring up a point that, as Martina mentioned, someone, uh, one of the other nonprofit leaders that we talked to, talked about, like, you know, everyone, the, especially government, always turns to the nonprofits when there's a need, when they need to connect with the community, they need something done. We saw it all throughout the pandemic, you know, 2020, 2021, we saw that kind of come to fruition where nonprofits were the ones really pushing messaging around what to do we're pushing out masks we're pushing you know when vaccines started to become available like it was you all that were doing that and bringing that messaging and bringing you know that awareness to the community um and it's always one of those things where it's like you know nonprofits do the work but then they're not compensated in a way that they should be or sort of funded in the way that they should be for all of the work that for all intents and purposes the government isn't doing you know, I think there's there is supposed to be shared responsibility from a government to their communities, but it doesn't happen all the time, whether that's at a federal, state, city, however, county level, like there isn't that sort of thing. And for a lot of the times, community members look to nonprofits, right? They, they look to the nonprofits, they hold you all accountable for what is missing in the community, for what's not happening. And and turn to someone who is a community member. Sometimes I'm like, oh, there should be somebody doing this. And I'm like, but it's but I'm like, but it's the government's job to be doing this. Like, so why am I so concerned about like a nonprofit doing it when you know we're supposed to be I mean here in Chicago, our aldermen should be doing certain things, you know, our, our mayor should be doing certain thing, like our Senate, like all these different levels that they should be doing. But then at the end of the day, it's the nonprofit to get held accountable and who are overextended, who are overwhelmed a lot of the times, particularly when you talk about smaller nonprofits either who are just starting and you know to your point like these are individuals who have a desire to help their community who saw a problem saw nobody else doing anything about it and they're like okay I'm gonna take it on yeah. and there, there's no like you know playbook on how to no. do any of this work right and then you look at the funding and then the funding is very minimal or it's restricted. You can't use it to pay staff, right? Like, can you use it for overhead? And I'm like, they need it for overhead, though. <laughs> <laughs> How do you want them to do the work when you yeah, don't need them funding for overhead? So to your point, I think there's so much that needs to be done in that sense of, like, this funding that becomes so restricted and it's just meant for the work. But I'm like, the work 
you need people to do this work you need to pay the individuals and you and the one thing that i that we uh i always talk about is how people in nonprofit always get people who are not in nonprofit see nonprofit workers as just volunteers mm. As you know, as people who are like, well, they care about this. Why should they get paid more than like the bankers? Because, you know, they, they care about this issue. They should just, you know, be, you know, be doing it because of the kindness of their heart or, you know, because they, they're like, you know, angels and all these things. I'm like, no, because A, someone needs to do the work and you have the nonprofit workers and yeah, you do have volunteers, but I was like, they need to be compensated because this is work that, you know, a lot of time, like you mentioned, Luis, people are putting in, you know, 10, 15 hour, you know, work days, they're working weekends, they're putting in more time than what they're, you know, spending at home and things like that. And then they're not compensated for all of the work that they're doing. And then at some point, you know, you, yeah, you get older and you start looking at your bank account and you start kind of being like, ah, and you start kind of seeing what's out there in other sectors. And you're like, I could be doing almost the exact same work and get paid for doing it or becoming a consultant or doing all these things. And you're like, that sounds a little better. So I'm just going to have to jump ship and go over here because I... I can't as much as I want to, as much as I wish I could, but there's limitations. No, and, and you actually have to, you get to do less work. I, you know, there's so many people that I talk, talk to that started off a nonprofit and then switched to corporate that are like, it's so slow here. I'm yeah. bored. I'm bored a lot. And I'm like, you never said that a nonprofit. Nobody's ever said yeah, I'm bored in nonprofit. nonprofit. Yeah. You, go, you go to these, you go to these other jobs and people are like, I need to find a place to volunteer or something because I've got too much time on my hands. And so, yeah, you're, I think you're absolutely right about everything that you said. Um, it is, it's a difficult situation to be in, but even beyond government, I think when the, when the pandemic hit, it was not just government, but you saw government philanthropy in corporate America. Um, for the first time, I think in my career, they were like, we don't really know what to do. Mm -hmm. The strategy became find groups that are doing work in the community and fund them to do what they do. And, 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 and so I had never really seen that strategy. I also had never operated in a time where I really wasn't worried about the funding because funding was coming. We just needed to help save lives, right? That was the goal. Like everything we did was to help save lives and make sure that our city didn't plummet um, into, into some sort of chaos. And so we were getting the resources that we needed during that time. And, you know, for some of us who've done this for a long time, we're like, this isn't going to last. So how do we continue this? And again, one of the reasons that we started up Accelerator Fund was to show a lot of these things that all our grants are going to be general operating, that we can trust leaders with this funding and, and to do the work. Um, coming out of, of the pandemic and going into whatever this new reality for us is now, you can already see that things have been changing. And so I don't know what 2023 is going to look like for the nonprofit sector, but it already feels that the funding that was there over the last two years, the way that it was there the last two years is not going to be showing up in the same way. So our challenge right now is going to be to hopefully from government philanthropy and corporate America, to make sure that they continue to fund in the same way, larger grants, less restrictions, 
less application process, et cetera. Because, you know, I think the nonprofit leaders in all of our communities have shown that they can be trusted with this funding and that they actually get the work done. And the, the more that we trust them to do it, the better off our city is. I think that sometimes it's my beef with the government is that they can give some money because there's been hundreds of millions of dollars that's gone out, you know, since 2020. We, I mean, now there's uh, a community health worker grants that have come out. There's doula grants that have come out. I work at MCH, so I'm a little bit about 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 the uh, platform or the or the landscape for that. And that's always my thing. Like, okay, so we got the government want to give out 200 million dollars today. Well, what's going to happen when that money's gone? Yeah. And the whole point is to make this sustainable. And one thing that we always talk about is here is that folks love to put band-aids on things. You know, like mm -hmm. these are not band-aid issues. These are really big issues that like, of course, we get it. They are hard to figure out. These are big issues that have been here and some people just can't wrap their heads around it. But don't mean that you should try to stop and just keep putting band-aids on it. It's like, what are the uh, sustainable things that need to happen so that, you know, we don't keep every five, 10 years, we get another $500 million for the government, keep fixing the same problem. Yeah, and I think it, within that, you know, you end up having the same entities that are set up to take that those dollars and then mm -hmm. how that gets distributed to the rest of the community-based organizations that are actually in neighborhoods. It, 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 it seems like the same story. I mean, right. this type of funding comes up, these organizations who are larger and equipped to take that money, take that money. And then everybody else, in a sense, gets a subcontract. And, you know, that 500 million turns into a much smaller grant by the time it, hit, it hits the streets in neighborhoods in Chicago, because mm -hmm. that's just the system. And you have these organizations that are coming out of community. They never really get the capacity to build themselves up to, to be able to take those larger amounts of money from government. And so this, is, this cycle just continues from, you know, every X amount of years and it cycles out through these pots of money. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that, you know, we're, we're talking to a lot of the organizations about as well is, you know, be careful when you take government funding because your organization can grow really quickly. Mm -hmm. But if that money ends and they go into something else, then you're going to have to manage through that transition within your organization. And that sometimes means you have to lay people off. And that's a very difficult thing to do as well. So, you know, at our organization, we believe in growth, but we do incremental. Like we're, we're, we grow slowly, steadily and slowly all the time. We don't take these huge government grants because I've seen early on in my career, like I said, I, I came from running a Burger King. And I remember one of my first volunteers, he, uh, he was volunteering to do like, you know, at that time it was like a one page website for us because you know, what, what did we need more than that for at that time? So one day, you know, he had a set time. He would come every week to help me out. One day he shows up out of the blue and I'm like, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, I was working at this nonprofit, but this grant ended and like they shut down the whole department and they were doing computer classes for kids on the South side. And I'm like, what are you, you know, coming from, I'm like, what? What do you mean they shut down the whole program? Like they laid everybody off. I'm like, what happens to the kids? Mm -hmm. Well, they're going to have to find something else to do, right? And to me, to your point about Band-Aids, I'm like, that is so disruptive. 
you know, so I, I never wanted our organization to be in a position to have to do that. And thankfully we haven't been, but it is something for organizations who are growing, who are looking at government funds to keep in mind. One, it is a lot of money that comes into your organization. Managing growth is hard, but you can do it. But also understand that you need to have a plan beyond that one grant if it's two or three years, because if, if they don't roll out money to continue these programs, then you're going to have to figure out either how you're going to continue them on your own, or unfortunately, some people, what they do is do what happened to my friend, where they, they ended up cutting the entire program, and that was that. I love that you said the slow and steady. I always think the slow and steady runs the race because the fastest one out here, they trying to grow and trying to show that, well, we're doing this, we're providing that. Hey, it's, I think it's awesome that you can provide that and do that. But like you said, what happens, you know, when this money go away, unless you can keep sustaining yourself. And a lot of times that is difficult to do. Yeah. But see, and that, that is part of, uh, and this is why I say, you know, philanthropy and corporate American government. I, I, I want to talk about that all as a unit because that's where funds come from. Mm-hmm. And so if you're one of these organizations and you see that the way to get attention is to make these big splashes, right? We've got this grant, we've grown this program, we've done this. That's kind of a way to fundraise for your organization in other areas, because otherwise, how do these big entities find you? Mm-hmm. And so there is a strategy behind them, you know, trying to grow that quickly. But, you know, the the other side of that is that as quick as that money comes, it can also leave. And so some, you know, sometimes that's difficult, but, you know, it's, it's part of the game and that's an unfortunate part of the game, but that's how the nonprofit sector has been set up. I agree. I have asked a lot, Lisette. <laughs> no, okay. I'm, I'm just out here I'm just kind of thinking about... This makes you think about too many things. You're like, oh my God. (laughs) My brain is just going different ways. But I think what I found really kind of refreshing and and I'll just kind of reiterate that sort of like, you know, that slow progression, that slow kind of moving, because I think a lot of the times I, over the years and sort of the work that I've been doing, hear about a lot of organizations who take you know some kind of grant or they go for funding whether it's government or sometimes it's just you know uh, a private company or something they get a grant and they do this great work for like a year or two and then that's it because then they maybe they go back to apply for it and they don't get it again you know or you know and they didn't and you know there wasn't uh there wasn't even a plan b in place because they couldn't plan a plan B because they had no money to kind of and all the resources were going into setting this thing up like you're using all your time energy and your your mind capacity to set this thing up and get it rolling so you can show success and then something happens and the and whoever was funding that project or that program is like well we've decided to go in a different direction yeah and now you're like wait a minute what does that mean for us now like I've just spent a year building this yeah, but, and, it, and it's such a, a, a problem because, you know, organizations need funding. So you have to find it somewhere and you go for this grant with the hopes that maybe something else will come through or, you know, maybe the organization will raise enough funds where they can, you know, then just pull from their, you know, operating budget and be able to kind of pull some money over here. So I think it's, it's such um, great to kind of hear that one of your kind of missions is to help the sort of these next generation of nonprofit leaders not fall into some of the same 
problems or sort of same issues and be able to get to where they want to be, you know, sooner rather than, you know, than later and, and sort of do that. Because uh, I think it's important. I think it's important for all of us to share what we've learned and kind of get it to the next generation, the next sort of those that are up and coming uh, behind us. Because that's the only way we're going to move forward together is if we share that knowledge and kind of work together and, and figure that out. Yeah. And, you know, one big thing that I always tell people is like, you know, there's, it, there's not one path, you know, I, I'm happy to share my journey with people and my experiences with people, but I, it's not the only path. There are many paths to get to where we want to go. I think to your point is that one of the things is you have to figure out where you want to go and then understand that, you know, there will be mistakes made on that path. We all make them. We all make mistakes. But when you're on, the, on, your, on your journey, I guarantee you that, and this has happened to us, you know, you can never imagine how many people actually want to help you and how many people reach out to help you, right? When you start something that is positive, that's giving back. And if you can understand that, you know, as you walk through this process, you don't have to do it like I did it. You don't have to do it like someone else did it. Do it your way because this is your journey and your path. And understand that when you make a mistake, we've all been there. We've all done it. And then also know, though, that as you walk the path, there will be somebody there that's going to give you a hand to get you to the next step in your journey. And we've always been blessed with that. I mean, I think you said this earlier on, you know, where it's like it's not a testament to just the work that I've done. I mean, my what I think has been one of my biggest successes is that I've surrounded my, myself with really great people. And those great people know other great people. And somewhere, somehow, somebody has always stepped up to help me, to help the organization. And that, that is what propels you to go forward. So we just want to make that just a little bit bigger in our time here, you know? Well, thank you for that. I'm, I'm keeping mind of time. So I think this is a perfect sort of uh, time to uh, sort of close out this first episode uh, with you do I have me. to wear the same shirt in the second episode so it looks like <laughs> you know you do whatever moves your parts <laughs> all right that's cool that's cool <laughs> that's cool but you know we're gonna wrap up say thank you Luis uh for being here with us for joining us um and yeah I think we, we look forward to kind of having you uh join us at you know part two uh, to those that are watching and listening uh we encourage you to join us and, and follow us if you don't follow us on facebook or instagram uh so that you get uh, alerts as to when uh this part two uh is up and live uh but we look forward to just kind of join you join you joining us and we look forward to seeing and talking to you next time awesome well, thank you for having me <laughs>